Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm talking with Trez Tapuni. Trez is the author of six published books, four of which have received major awards, and creator of two meditation visualization CDs with her voice over the Prague Symphony Orchestra. Her latest book is The Gifts of Grief, Finding Light in the Darkness of Loss. She recently collaborated with Grammy-nominated composer Michael Hoppe on his CD, Tapestry. She's the founder of Whole Heart, which she dedicates to helping people live a balanced, loving, and creative life. She teaches writing workshops, workshops for women in midlife, grief workshops, resilience workshops, and coaching created from her certification as a heart math trainer and her studies with transformational teacher Jean Houston. She's also trained in many other modalities, including somatic intuitive training and time dimension therapy. Welcome, Tress. Thank you. I rarely recognize myself when I'm being introduced. Like, who is that? <laughs> I know the feeling. I've been interviewed a few times, and it's kind of, well, yeah, I did do all those those things, but suddenly it doesn't quite sound like me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I know what you're talking about. Um, you know, as with, uh, as with most, almost all of my guests, your own experiences brought to you, you to this work with grief. And I wondered if we could just start there, uh, if you could share some about um, what cued you into the world of grief and got you on this, on this path that we share. Well, the major traumatic event in my life that got me on this path was the death of my son when he was 11. And he was um, hit by a truck, and he lived in a coma for 10, 11 days after that. And it was just life-shifting. You can have lots of uh, smaller traumas and griefs and losses, and they accumulate. But this was one of those that just knocks you off your path and off your trajectory and forces you to look at your life in a way you never thought you would ever have to look at your life. And there are several things I notice in that. One, of course, him being a child, which I think, um, you know, for most people is one of the more unimaginable losses, even for people Mm -hmm. who've had big losses, that can be true. And also the suddenness. Yeah. and traumatic nature of what happened too, um, that that kind of doesn't give you any sense of preparation at all. Just kind of throws you into the into the ocean of grief from one moment to the next. It's like an explosion. It's um, it's not like preparing yourself in any way. You never prepare yourself for that. You are um, absolutely convinced 
somehow in your magical thinking that this could never happen to you. And when it does, it's like, um, it's just like this explosion in your life that, as I said, knocks you off your trajectory and you have no idea where you are and what you're doing. It's, um, it's a club that I don't want anybody else to belong to. Mm. But uh, I talk with women who have lost children, and we always say it's, it's just amazing you don't walk around with this kind of mark on your forehead, you know, so you recognize each other. That somehow you could still appear, uh, especially right after a loss like that, still appear kind of regular, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I remember unless- when I went back months later to my regular work with the PTA at the um, one of my children's schools, and three women approached me that I had known for years through simply working with them at the school and said, you know, I lost a child at the age of six months, and I lost a child the measles, and, and you look at them like, how did I know that? Mm-hmm. That, that really uh, touches my heart that that we walk around not knowing these things about each other. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's so stunning, isn't it? It is. It really is. And, and it speaks a lot to how people, um, especially women, are raised to not upset other people. You know, I'm also, yeah, yeah. I'm also aware you have... Uh, how many other children aside from your children. son? I, yeah. um, and so, uh, you know, I, I have children. I had children when my wife died, who I was then trying to both shepherd and make room for my own personal grieving. Mm-hmm. That can be a really hard coordination, and I, and I imagine um, very hard when... It's so sudden this way. Um, was that, uh, of course, also it c- sort of kept me going, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, um, it's a two-edged sword. It's a exactly two-edged sword. Yeah. So how was that for you with your with your other children? Um, I mean, they, I'm assuming they all were go- undergoing some trauma of their own. Yes, and I think as a mother, you stay constantly aware of that. You have to stay constantly aware of that. And that changes the way that you grieve because you you don't have any training in this. Mm. Nobody has prepared you. And you don't know how to talk about it. You don't know what's best for the children. You know, you were not necessarily a person who, um, you know, you were... In my case, I was a very religious person. I hadn't partaken in much training in anything other than trusting in God. <laughs> mm. And um, this was too big for for handling with five children of those different ages. And so I made mistakes. And I think the biggest mistake that I made was not 
sharing how I felt. I would, I think I um, mentioned to you that I spent a lot of time in the closet. <laughs> so I would, when I. Literally, a, huh? Literally, when things just um, became so overwhelming that I couldn't handle them and I knew that the tears or the rage or whatever it was was going to come, I went in the closet instead of allowing at least the older children to understand that I was um, suffering as they were suffering and that they could share that with me. So there was a period of time where we weren't honest with one another. You know, the, uh, the piece of your book that's about modeling to your children really speaks to that, that experience. Could you share that? Yes, yes. That part of your book? Um, I wrote in the book, Throughout, I struggled to model to my children that you can be beaten down by grief but choose to rise again stronger and more compassionate than ever. I refused to be seen as a victim. I didn't want to be simply a survivor, but what else was there? I was never saintly. There were days when depression struck me down, when anger led me into a closet where I screamed at God in the darkness amidst the smell of mothballs and my dead child's clothing. And yet I sensed a desire to grow through this achingly long winter of grief into someone else, someone expanded, not contracted by my grief. I began to listen to my heart. There, among the cracks and fissures, some luminous thing waited. I set out to determine the source of that light and recognized that I had to make a choice or I would fall into the trap of seeing myself as a victim. Michael, my other children, and I deserved more. But I couldn't bypass the dark night and go directly to the light. I had to participate in the entire journey. To walk through grief is a heroic journey. No other challenge in life approaches it. The line that stood out, uh, Michael, my other children, and I deserved more, that Michael is a part of the constellation of your family deserving more. And I wonder if you can talk about how you thought of him deserving more. Are you talking about honor, honoring his life? Are you talking about, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I just want to hear more about that because it's rich to me. It grew. It, it was a, in the beginning about honoring his life. He was very, very special person, as most people are special people, but when they're your children, you... You know, you know all their special places. And not early on, but as I went into the process more, I became aware of him as an energy. He was still part of the family. He was still um, part of my... It wasn't just memory. It was actually the process of knowing that he was there. He was to be considered... As much as I considered the living, I considered him and his memory, his being, who he was and what he brought to me and to the rest of us was worthy 
of me being more than a puddle of misery on the floor, you know, mm. as much as my living children were worthy of that. Mm. So it was, um, it was quite a, a deep dive spiritually. Sometimes I think the beginning is so much about absence, but later it, uh, it feels more like presence to me. Uh, and I think that's related to what you're talking about, that mm-hmm. he became a presence instead of an absence. Yes. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that takes away the absence, but no. Um, no. that becomes more prominent over time. And it's one of the gifts, and that's why my book is called The Gifts of Grief, because it is one of the gifts that I was able, through, I think, his energy and presence, to to feel him and know him, to still be part of our world, and not to only think of him as absence, which leads you to remember the person in the darkest days, as opposed to holding them in the light. The other thing that stood out to me about that passage is the uh, the hero's journey, mm. um, heroic journey aspect, because uh, obviously, I, I mean, you can talk more about that concept, but according to my understanding, hero's journeys are really difficult. You know, yeah. my picture for it is always um, going across the desert, and you can see the... The mountains, like if you go across the California desert, you can see the mountains, but they're way, way off, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's and it's hot and blistering and uh, not much around, you know, <laughs> um, that's my mental picture. Um, it, yeah, yeah, it you is. Just, it you just is. keep walking and walking and yeah. walking, it seems like. Well, it's uh, not only that, it knocks you back. It's, I think... Um, knowing that people um, still make movies and still write music that reenact the hero's journey, like in modern times, Indiana Jones, I use as an example in my book. It's every time they seem to get going, something happens. (laughs) Throws them backwards, throws them off kilter, takes them to a really dark place. So the hero's journey is full of hope, and then it strikes you down, throws you back. You you say, gosh, I thought I came so far. What's happening here? What's going on? Yeah. And yet, and it's interesting uh, that you mention, you know, those are such popular types of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there's a cultural idea that, there's really something terribly wrong if we feel bad. And those two seem to collide in my mind. It's not so bad when a hero has challenges and comes through it, but when we as as regular old people have challenges, somehow we're supposed to, I don't know. Rise above it. Rise above it immediately. Yeah. You know, within a very, very short time. What do you... How do you think that those two become disconnected for us? I think that the hero's journey, particularly through books and movies and all the others, give us a real good look into the fact that the heroes have um, problems that they respond to very poorly at times. 
I mean, Indiana Jones was, again, that example of the person who he whined a lot. (laughs) That is true when I think about it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he was, but then we have this idealized thing that um, I think it's more Western culture. If you were going to pick a culture that has that the most, that we can overcome anything. And we show people that, by God, we can overcome anything and look at us and look how strong we are and look how we're smiling. Can you see I'm smiling? You know, and But it's also our Christian background of being good and not bothering people. And especially that's in conservative parts of the world. I grew up in the Midwest. We never bothered people. <laughs> I mean, you just didn't. You were just taught that, that, especially as a young person, that you just, you didn't let people know you were troubled. That was just going to make them feel bad. And it's a very quiet universe. And I think the movies and things are to show us that there's other than that. If we, can, if we can take take that in and not somehow mm-hmm. make our movie heroes something other than what we are, yes. but just kind of exaggerated examples of what we are, yes, uh, that we're all kind of on that on that uh, road somewhere. Yeah, and that we can fail, we can lose our temper, and we can be less than our higher self. And we can come back. So when we get back, it's about time for a break. But when we when we get back, I want to uh, continue to talk about this, and also in the context of kind of finding our deepest energy. Because I find when I work, for instance, with people with cancer, which I do a lot, there's this fight between, uh, you know, it'll it'll support my well-being to be my highest self. And people use that as a way to kind of reject all the feelings they have and all the difficulty. Mm. Um, and you've found a way to link the two, and I want to talk more about that when we come back. Okay. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America for all Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And to find Tres Tipuni, go to trestipuni.com. That's T H E R E S E T A P P O U N I.com. Be back in a minute. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Tres Tapuni. Her latest book, The Gifts of Grief, Finding Light in the Darkness of Loss, uh, is, is, uh, both shares her lessons of, from her own grief and, uh, offers, uh, a way forward for people experiencing their grief. And before the break, Tres, we were talking about, um, Putting together the the need to be where you are, have your feelings, and go towards kind of your bigger self, for one of a better way to put it. Um, and and I I mentioned I do encounter a lot of people that kind of want to skip the part where you feel really bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, both when I'm working with grief and when I'm working with illness, of course, that's a grief as well. Um, what do you have to say about that? How do you how do you uh, navigate people through that conflict? I think the first thing that I always tell my clients and that I talk about at great length in the book is that we're all individuals and we do everything in an individual way. And we need to really watch out for those people who tell us how we should do it. But we, if we can go to a place, I'm, I'm very, um, I love to teach meditation but I also love to tell people that it's simply going to a quiet space. It's not, it's not a ritual. It's not a, something you have to do a certain way. It's simply accessing your heart. And your heart has so much information and intuition to give you that you can go there and go to that peaceful place and you can allow your intuition to speak to you and let you know what's best for you, not what the doctors say is best in some ways, not what your family says is best in some ways, but to take it all in, but know that you're the filter and you're the one that knows what's best for you. And the world tells you that what's best for you is to make the people around you feel better mm. is, is totally out of whack because you you need to recognize who you are as an individual 
and behave as you are as an individual. And as I wrote in the book, you will lose some people. You will have people who say, this is not the person I know, and I can't deal with it. And also, uh, what I find is uh, you will lose some people because they are not who you need, and you leave them. Absolutely. <laughs> That's Absolutely. also quite a common experience yes. uh, for people who, who, who undergo tremendous loss. Yeah. That it and really sh- it shakes the tree. Yeah. yeah. They need to feel. It's very hard, especially, I think, with uh, women of my generation. Um, we're taught not to be judgmental. Well, I tell people, don't be judgmental. Be discerning. Mm. And you know what's best for you, especially when you're talking about people who are dealing with cancer or anything like that, and they need their energy. If you have Absolutely. an energy-draining person around you, this is not good. I, I don't know if uh, we are on the edge of talking about this or not, but I, but I keep becoming aware that uh, at some point after your son died, you and your husband, very, very long marriage, ended mm-hmm. that marriage. Yes. And I mm-hmm. wonder if that, was something completely separate or it was related to this big shakeup in your in your life? It was related and it was long in coming because we were both raised Catholic. We were both very protective of our children, our home, our business. We were in business together. But it's a it's a large statistic that is debated constantly about how many people who lose children get divorced. Ordinarily, it happens within a couple of years. One or the other just can't cope with the fact of what happened, or one or the other blames the other if there was one parent with the child when something happened. But generally speaking... I use the um, the analogy of the billiard table. It's like there's when you lay down that triangle and the balls are in it and it's all so neat, and then all of a sudden you hit it with that other ball and they scatter all over the pool table. Yes. That's a family in grief. And particularly a husband and wife in grief. And they don't mourn the same way. And they... In our case, we totally went in opposite directions. And so then that takes a lot of courage. What we're talking about theoretically that grief changes any any huge uh, life challenge has the tendency to change relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if that involves facing up to another huge uh, close-on loss like that, uh, it, must, it takes a lot of courage to, to choose that, uh, you know, to, yeah. Yeah. To, live, to live it out and uh, honor yourself in that. But the process of grief also makes it possible in some cases. I can only speak for my own case, mm-hmm. but when you've been through 
what you've been through and you've set your heart and mind to making it be uh, bigger in your life rather than pounding it down and hiding it and living with it for years as if it never happened or putting on black and sitting in a corner. If you choose to have a vibrant life, in that choosing, you're also putting other things up for for grabs. It's kind of an overhaul. Yeah. Yeah, because you do. You become a different person. And that different person makes different choices. And there's no blame. I mean, there's just the fact that that there's change when you, especially when you consciously choose to go on a path that changes you dramatically. You are no longer the same person. And in the case of um, certain men that I know, that's a very threatening thing. It's like, you know, they're bewildered and say, I want her back. Where did she go? <laughs> sometimes sometimes just in menopause you'll hear that. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I heard this, this wonder <laughs> I heard this wonderful thing about a fifty year marriage and the wife died and the husband was asked, how did you stay in love with the same woman all that time? And he said, oh, that's easy. She wasn't the same woman the whole 50 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. So some people accept that and find the wonder in it. And some, yes. some don't. Yeah, it keeps life exciting. <laughs> uh, we're, we're a little bit on the edge of this other passage I wanted you to share. Uh, you know, we're both... Um, decades past the moment of our our losses and have evolved over all that time. And there's a section in your book about, uh, you talk about forgiveness a lot. And um, I feel that sometimes uh, takes people a long time to truly get to, which is fine because (laughs) things take how long they take. Uh, But I wondered if you would share that part and then we could talk about forgiveness a bit. Okay. Have the courage to forgive others. As our energy changes, we will see change in those around us. Some will become closer, but be prepared for those who live in fear to leave. They do not know the you that is being born. The loss of certain people in our lives, even when it's for our own good, still creates a state of grief. It can be minimal or much larger, depending on the duration and intensity of the relationship. We need to learn to let go of those who desire to break contact with the new self that is being born in us. These lessons will be later recognized as gifts. I'm very happy that you say, will later be recognized as gifts. <laughs> there's no <laughs> yes. instant. <laughs> no, there's nothing. No, it's not quick oatmeal. Um, no. It's, it's a long process. Uh, and, I, and it also made me think about something that uh, I spent a lot of time with Stephen Levine um, uh, in, in many years uh, when my wife was sick. And he would say, you can let someone back in your heart without letting them in your house. Yeah. Uh, yes. Many things he said stuck, but when I read your passage, it made me think of that because there's no requirement of then what you do, but just uh, 
allowing someone to go and and letting them be them basically yeah forgiving them them for being themselves and being unable to do whatever it is we wanted yeah uh really is a is a liberation yeah, and so many people think of forgiveness as, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I need to hold on to this. Um, I was treated badly. I mean, and I'm not saying that about me. I'm saying that's what people say, especially in early counseling. Uh, forgiveness is a weakness to them. And they and maybe a danger. Not. Sometimes Pardon? maybe a danger that we use our anger to maybe defend ourselves or oh yeah, uh, yeah. prevent ourselves from being that nice guy that you were talking about earlier yeah. in the hour. But uh, the forgiveness the- is never saying you didn't do that. If if someone was mistreated, you don't forgive them and say you didn't do that. You still know that whatever happened happened, but you're choosing to release your energy from it. What they do with it is their business. But it's such a release to let that go, to stop hanging on to that resentment. And Are you familiar with the, I think, well, I had it in my book, The Course in Miracles? Um, yes, I absolutely am. That statement that I... I used it many times in my book because it's something that I do every morning and every night without fail and just say that every decision I make is a choice between a grievance and a miracle. I relinquish all regrets, grievances, and resentments and choose the miracle. And I call that with my clients a choice point. That when you say that, you, you're relinquishing the grievances and the resentments. That's a choice point where you're lightening up your own energy. So you're choosing. It's not something that's being forced on you. You're making a choice. That you're the other, choosing the, the other thing, Yeah, the other thing I notice in myself is that uh, when, when old grievances pop up, uh, in some way, it usually means that I'm a, I'm a little off balance. Uh huh. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's a real good indicator yeah. that I I need a bath or you know a, a soak <laughs> bath, not a clean bath, or a walk or a you know I'm I'm depleted. Yeah. And uh, so I don't mind that circling back around sometimes just as an indicator resentment's another indicator for me mm-hmm. yeah uh you know whoa i'm not taking good enough care of myself but i don't think that's how people generally think of those things they think of them as indications about the other person yeah and and i'm not telling anybody that it's easy I'm just telling them that if you try it, you're going to feel better. <laughs> you know, eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, eventually, because you're you're releasing all that. It's it's like in heart math, they talk about us as an energetic battery. You know, where you what you download during the day into yourself either depletes your energy or your battery, or it renews it 
And if you're living in one of those places of resentment or whatever comes up that you mentioned, you'll feel it. You feel it energetically, immediately. So it's not, it's not helping you and it's not the other person isn't learning anything from it. So it's kind of useless energy. Mm. I'm also aware uh, how um, positive and negative vulnerability factor into what we're talking about, that um, you're either vulnerably safe or vulnerably in danger, and (laughs) they bring about very different feeling states. Mm -hmm. And... I, I think sometimes unforgivingness is about not feeling safe, too. Um, I wonder if you'd share the section of your book about vulnerabilities uh, and what, they're, what, what they have the power of, what they can um, teach us, instead of us just reacting to them by, you know, getting defended and etc. cetera. Um, <clears throat> I think the one you're referring to is... Um, through grief's vulnerabilities, we have the opportunity to recognize our true human and spiritual selves. We have been given the chance to grow, change, and become more aware of the world around us. Contrary to what poetry and many books might tell us, this is not a slow, comfortable, or lovely process. It is wrenching, explosive, and overwhelming The amazing writers, suffragette, and Jungian analyst Florida Scott Maxwell suffered deep grief in her life, particularly in old age. She sums up this process in her book, The Measure of My Days. Life does not accommodate you. It shatters you. Every seed destroys its container, or else there would be no fruition. That always reminds me of Dylan Thomas's poem about death, you know. Yeah, do not go gently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, this this uh, unrealized fact for many people that uh, there's destruction involved in growth, sometimes oh, yeah. a, a gentler discre- destruction, but I think that leads to a lot of, of uh, ideas about things being wrong that actually are part of a a growth process. Uh, Let's continue with that when we come back because it's time for our second break. So listeners, you can go to my website at weatheringgrief.com, two Gs, or the Good Grief Host page, and find Trez Taponi at T-H-E-R-E-S-E-T-A-P-P-O-U-N-I dot com. Back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
we're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Tres Tapuni, who works with grief and writes uh, about grief and uh, we we were talking about vulnerability before the break and the vulnerability that comes when we we crack open as the result of some change inside of us. Um, I, I you know that sense of vulnerability is so present with me the last few weeks with the. Uh, Events in Orlando. I, I also have a, a friend who um, coaches on The Voice. And uh, just the day before the Pulse um, massacre, one of her singers that she coached was also killed in Orlando. And so I was already kind of broken up, broken open by that. And then, of course, just a day ago, uh, you know the the once again a um shooting a death of a man in Baton Rouge mm-hmm. uh i don't know if you've heard about that yet yeah. uh, another yeah. black man killed there it's just an overwhelming load sometimes uh yeah. that that makes the world you know which is so much closer these days um appear at moments to be dangerous. Well, it is dangerous in some ways, but um, it's so hard to keep our ground, isn't it, to be vulnerable in that and not uh, certainly work for justice, but not be filled with um, indignation and anger. Well, it's a fine line to walk, and we call it um, global grief, because it it affects everybody on a global level because of the way, like you said, we can see everything in real time. And it's, I had an eye-opening experience with a young client this week who told me that her generation um, marks things by mass shootings. And my partner said to me, well, we, you know, we mark our, like, John Kennedy's assassination, 9-11, whatever. But for these kids, it's different because I knew that I wasn't in line to be assassinated when John Kennedy was assassinated. I didn't fear that something was going to happen to me because of what happened to him. Mm. These kids have seen these things happen in movie theaters and 
clubs, outdoor venues, wherever it is, and they feel like they are part of the target market. And that's something that we've never experienced before. Yes, and there's a sense of... Not with not with Orlando. That was obviously not random. Right. Um, but right. many of the mass shootings have a random quality. It's just a random bunch of people in a theater or a random bunch mm-hmm. of kids at school or, mm-hmm. you know, there's no real, uh, there's no sense of protection about it. There's nothing no, you can decide not to do, for instance. And that... To me, and also, of course, one person is different than 50 people or 30 people uh, in terms of how it hits us, don't you think? Yeah. But, of course, the re- I, I think this has been happening in the world for a long, long time, but it's affecting us more because of the media. The media and because it's coming closer to home. For sure, for sure. Yeah. I do. I do think it's it's uh, it seems it feels more personal. Yeah. To, it's to like lots a, of people, you know, people. when you talk about a huge loss and you think about Syria, for instance, and you get to the point where people are numb; they can't see another boat of people going down off the coast of Greece and feel the same way they felt the first time. They're becoming numb. Mm. But when it's happening, like I live in Florida, when it's happening in Orlando, which has always been associated with Disney World, you know, you just, it becomes very, very personal and very close to home, and you know people that are going to Disney World over the holiday, and you wonder, you know, what... What's going to happen over there next? But you do know, like you said, that one was targeted for a very specific reason. But um, it's it's a place where that's when I talk about grief. There is a global grief that we pick up in our energy that um, spreads. You know, we, we don't understand what it is that we're feeling, but... There are days when I have clients who say, I just feel so sad and I have no reason. Well, you do have a reason. Absolutely. I, maybe you could share the, the little piece, the paragraph from your book about global grief that seems timely right now. Our world gives us many reasons to feel sadness and grief. Global grief is a bit harder to pin down than individual losses, but it is very real nonetheless. It occurs outside our private lives and affects us as a community. Sometimes we can take solace in shared experiences. We just need to recognize that there are outside factors contributing to our grief. Global grief is manifested in many ways. It can be energetic, where people feel sad or they're crying with no explanation why. War anywhere on the planet can create it. Catastrophe, events particular to the U.S., such as the assassination of Kennedy, the space shuttle Challenger, 9-11, and global fears such as climate change, slavery, drought, people fleeing their countries. We sometimes have enormous reservoirs of grief that are latent until we experience a loss 
that triggers the old pain. So it's like it's stored cellularly, which science has shown us is a fact. We don't just store memory in our brain. It's stored all over our bodies, and it's in our energy. So when we interconnect energetically, when something really large happens like 9-11, you can actually measure the energetic changes in the magnetic field of the Earth. That's astonishing, isn't it? It is, yes. I'm also very aware in this way that uh, I think I maybe first noticed it when Princess Diana died, mm-hmm. that when there's a, a, a mass grief event, it feels to me as if sometimes it opens up a pent-up grief and... Mm-hmm. Thousands of people are going and putting flowers and, you know, it it kind of unleashes all this grief that doesn't have a place. Of course, it's also a response to the particular event. But it feels to me as if it gives, somehow because it's so public, it gives our grief some permission. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm all for that, not for the event, but for people feeling they they get to feel affected by loss. Yeah, and people are doing that more and more. I mean, it's become so ritualistic, that's a hard word, Um, (laughs) where we see this now whenever a mass event happens where all of a sudden, well, even a private event like Princess dying for it for instance. I mean, people coming and placing flowers and candles, and it's almost like we've we've come out of the closet with our grieving rituals, which, as you said, that's not a bad thing. I actually feel uh, uh, m- many people in my life have mixed feelings about social media, and, of course, any tool can go mm-hmm. wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> However... The, the way that people have been liberated to express loss seems to me overall a good thing. I noticed it in particular with Prince. Yeah. Uh, that there was just such an outpouring of feeling there. Well, it actually, um, I was very encouraged by that because social media is something that I struggle with when it becomes um, a vehicle for anger. Mm-hmm. And during this political season, it has been amazingly uh, alive with that kind of negative feedback from people. Mm-hmm. So when it becomes um, a place where people can express their grief or their joy or or their congratulations or whatever, I feel really good about that because I feel like it's combating the other stuff. You know, that we're so overwhelmed with that dark, gooey stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Dark, gooey. I like that. (laughs) Before I let you get away, I want to talk just a little bit about the ways in which you, you know, you've been doing this a long time, obviously. Your son died in 1974. Am I right about that Mm -hmm. date? Yeah. And, uh... Way, way before my wife died, and I feel as if I've been doing this a long time. Um, So how does that show in what you do today, and uh, what's your favorite kind of work these days? Just tell me, uh, get me current a little bit here. I think that um, 
the um, actually the book on grief came out in 2013. It took me that many years to feel that I had. I don't want to say the right. That's not the word. But I was ready to put it on paper what I thought could help others go through what I went through. I learned it the hard way. Mm. I was given books early on that I threw against the wall. (laughs) I'm with you on that. (laughs) Yeah. So it took a long time to get through that process and sound like I knew what I was talking about because I did. But over the years, I wrote mostly in poetry, and um, I wrote a novel that had the story in it in a fictionalized form, so I didn't have to have ownership of it. Mm. It took me a long time to take ownership of, yes, I have been through this, and and now my my purpose in my latest work, I'm, I have a work in progress, which they always say you shouldn't talk about, so I won't go into it too much, but it's, um, <laughs> it's a story about for um, middle grade and young adult about two boys, an Iraqi boy and an American boy, who affect the rescue of an American um, in Iraq using the can-do of the American boy and the inshallah, which means as God wills, of the Iraqi boy. Mm. So I'm interested in writing about the different strengths of different cultures in a way that's not preachy. (laughs) I mean, you're dead if you preach to kids. That's not (laughs) Typically so, yes. (laughs) Even my little two-and-a-half and 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 (laughs) four-and-a-half-year-old grandsons, I I must not preach to. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But that's, uh, so I do, you know, in doing the the thing with Michael Hope, the writing poems for each one of his compositions was just, I love collaborating. It's a wonderful thing. And I've written a book of poetry with my partner and, you know, just, just living my life in a, in a really motivated kind of holistic way. I know that sounds kind of uppity. That's not the way I'm in it. Well, I'll tell you what I took from it. Uh, When you open your life to expressing your deepest self, you don't know exactly the many ways it will come out. No. And life ends up being not about one, just one thing. No. So I resonate with that a great deal. Yes. It's, It's amazing that you just go, wow, where did that come from? When you open your heart and you open your energy, it's astonishing what comes in. Absolutely. And that's, um, you know, my son, when I saw him in the afterlife and had that experience with his energy, and he said, your wound is not a wound, it's a portal. And I didn't know what that meant, but I learned really quickly what that meant. You know, that things were coming through and I was going places that I never expected. What a wonderful gift to get from him. Yeah. I want to thank you really for being with me, Trez. I've I've enjoyed our conversation a lot. Oh, thank you. It was a great pleasure. 
And I'm sure we'll be in touch somehow or other. We Listeners, you, you can find Tres Tapuni at T-H-E-R-E-S-E, T-A-P-P-O-U-N-I, TresTapuni.com. Next week, I'll welcome Elizabeth Hack, who founded the arts organization San Francisco Peace and Hope as a response to the September 11th attacks. The purpose of the organization is to share hope and artistic expression, especially poetry, to contribute to a more connected and peaceful world. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.